You're listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense with your host, Doug Thorpe. Here's Doug. Well, greetings, everyone. This is Doug Thorpe, and you're listening to another episode of Leadership Powered by Common Sense. I have a great privilege today to have a guest on my show who was gracious in having me on her show a a few weeks back. And uh, timing and weeks and calendars are all kind of a fuzzy thing in this podcast world. But nonetheless, she has now agreed to be on on this show and share with us some of her thoughts and ideas. She calls herself a leadership futurist. And clearly the world of business and work is changing right before our eyes. So it's always a pleasure to talk with someone who has done some work and done some study and has some great insights to share with us. Her name is Zoe Routh. Zoe, welcome to the show. Doug, it's so good to be here. Now, tell tell the folks where you live, Zoe. I live in Canberra, Australia. And my accent, because it'll people immediately go, you don't sound Australian, mate. <laughs> I'm Canadian originally, so but I've been living in Australia since 1996. Awesome. Well, that's great. Well, if you go to her website, Zoe also kind of blends a passion for nature and great things of this world, sort of a high wilderness adventurist, as well as being this leadership futurist. So, Zoe, you've got quite a package going on here. Give us a little bit of your background. How how have you evolved into this uh, leadership expert that you are today? When my parents sent me to summer camp way back when, that was probably the start of my primary career in the outdoors because I fell in love. I fell in love with being in outbush with other people and having adventures with other people in amazing places. And that was the start of my summer camp um, adventures, I guess. And I ended up working at summer camp when I started there when I was just turned 17, had my birthday at staff training. And I worked every summer there for nine summers and I led canoe trips and I headed up the canoe tripping program there. So I just kept going back until I became one of the rusted on old people at the age of 26. (laughs) (laughs) And um, that happens. Oh, I know. It's like they made such a joke of it because my birthday was always July 1st, the start of the summer camp. And uh, so I'd always get thrown in the lake on my birthday. That was a tradition at our camp. And my friends would mock me for being. A quarter of a century plus one, <laughs> which, you know, twice that plus now, that seems like it's such a baby time, 26. In any case, that started it off. And from there, I decided I had a, a major choice when I was going to university. I was studying English literature, whether to go on and pursue a master's and a PhD in literature, English literature. And I had an epiphany. I'm like, you know what? All I do in English literature is read about other people having adventures when I could go and have adventures myself. So I chose the outdoor life and that brought me to Australia to work for Outward Bound, where I spent nine years, seems to be a bit of a theme, nine years working for Outward Bound, leading trips there. I headed up their instructor training program and was on the executive for much of my time there. Uh, That led me to work for an organization called Australian Rural Leadership Foundation. And that expanded my understanding 
and uh, experience of leadership in so many different contexts with different organizations and communities and sectors. Um, and what I liked about working with them is they blended the outdoor experiential education with boardroom, classroom, um, academic or theoretical knowledge. And so even though it was a lot of it was experiential in, in terms of, but not just in the outdoors, there was a nice blend of that. And I've taken all that and woven that into my own business, which I launched in 2002, where I run executive coaching, leadership training, and culture and strategy facilitation for CEOs and boards. So that's a little snapshot. And I love it. Uh, I love it. yeah. So with that, uh, blend. I I, I want to go to the the boardroom side of your story there first, and and with with the blend of experience you've had working with leaders in I, I'm presuming many different industries and many different sectors. Can can you? I want to dive right in here. Can can you frame what the current mindset is among those leaders? Are there any central themes that you're hearing or people are talking about? Uh, still, as a hangover from COVID, is uh, overwork. So there is still a scramble to recruit and get enough people on board, as well as the right people on board. So there's this churn of recruitment and um, training and turnover, which is exhausting. So people are still expected to deliver the same that they were doing pre-pandemic with this hindrance of not enough people. And with the people that do have, there's still COVID. So people are still off sick, et cetera. So there's that theme, sort of a bit dis despondency there. There is a concern uh, at the moment around rising costs and uh, inflation rates. So that's putting a lot of pressure on businesses to try and um, they're getting squeezed, if you like. And so there's an in Australia, there's a bit of an economic slowdown as well, particularly in the retail and hospitality sectors as people stop their discretionary spending. It's eased off a little bit, I'd say, but there's still that. So there's it's all tactical pressures at the moment as opposed to strategic. So um which is disconcerting because there's some major things on the horizon that leaders aren't necessarily diving into because they don't have the bandwidth for it. Things like artificial intelligence, robotics, uh, the blockchain. There's a whole number of these big issues that can, can and will transform a lot of organizations and industries and they don't have a plan. So that, and that's a bit frightening. Well, and as I alluded on the lead-in, I, I know you speak of that in your in, in your web presence. This leadership futurist idea. So, what are some of those themes, perhaps above and beyond the ones you just named? But what are some of the touch points that you see on the horizon? So, aside from the ones that I already mentioned, one of the biggest ones, which is a positive one, is the change in energy. So in terms of the rise of renewables is going to transform every single sector. And as we get uh, renewables more and more online, and that means, in theory, <laughs> cheaper access to, uh, to, to energy. So the cost of energy should go down, should go down. Uh, when the cost of energy go, goes down, everything gets cheaper in terms of delivery. And that can catapult access to whole so many different resources for so many different people 
I like the work of Peter Diamandis in his latest work. Uh, he co-authored called Exponential 2.0, where he talks about the um, the the dematerialization of a lot of goods and services. And I think energy, the transformation of energy is, is a big uh, part of that. Um, so blockchain, I think, is one that is going under the radar. It had a big sort of flare up of interest around NFTs where people were like, so you can sell JPEGs and make a lot of money. <laughs> and I think that's what people thought the blockchain was. But really, the blockchain is a way of recording transactions that are immutable and completely transparent, which can transform the way a business operates completely. There's a lot of organizations that are logging their um, their operations on the blockchain for transparency reasons. Example is a palm oil business in South America where they have their workers log on via a mechanism and they can uh, <clears throat> on and that is logged onto the blockchain. And then when they log off, that's also logged. So they can see how much their workers are working, therefore proving that they are not being exploited. They also can tag their individual trees that they they plant and monitor their treatment of them and when they are harvested also to demonstrate they're not deforesting the Amazon. Um, other organizations in agriculture are using similar technology to uh, for point of origin sourcing of their products, of meat products, say, for example. So they can tag a cow and follow its lifespan through its transactions digitally recorded logged on the blockchain and you can see how that animal was treated through its life cycle through to production so with the view to being to proving that people are doing the right thing so this means that the decrease in things like greenwashing can occur and so this the esg imperative will become um more and more visible to people and more and more needed and required for organizations to show up and do the right thing and to prove that they're doing the right thing. So the other trend there, which I mentioned, ESG, so environmental, social, and governance transparency is, is going to be integrated into the web of all businesses if they are to survive and be adopted because this rising concern about what businesses are doing on the planet, for the planet, for its people, is a shift. And that shift in worldview is kind of the sleeper thing that not a lot of people are really paying attention to. And the shift towards thinking about what is our business about and what the economy is about and what is even uh, capitalism about is fundamental to all of this. So there's some work happening with uh, Kate Rayworth and her seminal, seminal book called Donut Economics, which speaks to that. The idea that what business and capitalism should not be about is just growth for growth sakes and lining the pockets of the business owners alone. And the idea of redistributing the, the purpose of a business so that we what we're doing is elevating the basic rights and uh, fundamentals for people around the world. So we're raising people's basic access to hygiene, water, food, safety and security. That's a fundamental aspect of business and how we we do that. And we're living within our means within the planet. So the the model is a donut because in the middle is what we're doing for human humans. And then the outside of the donut is that we're doing that within the confines of our natural resources. <laughs> so that's some of the bigger picture trends that are on the horizon. 
that don't need a lot of shifting for leaders to address and incorporate, and yet will make a significant difference to their operations and also in, in some ways to their recruitment problems, because a lot of younger people are interested in being part of a movement as opposed to just getting a job. Right. Uh, That's what I was just thinking on your original comment about one of the business challenges of the day is the churn and the, the recruiting and retention challenges. But it's well known that one of the big drivers in that is this mindset shift among particularly younger employees, but even among some of the older ones too, sort of the post-pandemic mindset shift that's happened. And um, I, I think that is based on a whole new set of values, many of which are this whole sense of purpose, sense of pride, not just making money as a company, but serving the greater good of the planet and at least the community you you work in. And, and it is a palpable, noticeable, measurable impact, I think, to business. I, I had a coaching call earlier today. My executive that I was working with was expressing a concern about her work team's commitment to the work and then she described it as a sense of there's not the same level of ownership there used to be at the employee level for the work they're doing and i challenged her and i said well what have you done to explain the value of that and the the, mm -hmm. the purpose of that and the reason behind that and my audience has heard me say this before when it comes to people that might be working for you, a confused mind says no. <laughs> if they don't know what you're talking about, they're not going to be overly committed. They're not going to be overly engaged. They're, they're going to be holding back because they're a bit confused about what purpose might be and what success may look like. So they might still be collecting your paycheck, but they're not necessarily fully engaged as you wish they were. Oh, I agree with that. And I think it's one of one of the big challenges that organizations and leaders have or downfalls of them is that they don't articulate that end game uh, very well in tangible terms. What is the picture, the utopia that we are striving for? And every organization has its vision. And I like to think of it as what is the utopia that you are building towards you may never achieve it, but having that picture in mind is really essential. And then when you can draw a line uh, between what you're doing on a daily basis, contributing towards that, then you have a chance of uh, motivating and engaging people. But if they're asking, like, what's the point of this? Why do I have to fill in this form? Why do I have to write this report? What does this project even matter? When it's part of a grander plan, then it is far more energizing. And I think this this goes to the heart of also how many organizations and teams do strategy very poorly and they do it in reverse what do i mean by reverse is they start with what should we do this year let's you know okay let's start with a target let's increase revenue by 10 percent. again it goes to why like who cares um we've got this ingrained notion that growth for its own sake is an end in itself uh and more must be better but it's not necessarily so so they start with like, let's set a target and then what should we do? Let's throw a number of projects on the table. Then think, oh, well, how are we going to pay for that? And they write a budget and then they figure out, well, how should we measure it? 
And this is all backwards where we, what we should be doing is starting with that end in mind, that end game, that what are the results that we're trying to achieve? Why does this, any of this matter? What is the outcome? What is the impact? And then how are we going to measure that, that impact? As you said, like when we get in clear on the impact that we're making and we can prove that we're making a difference, then this is a spark of engagement. This is a spark of enthusiasm and passion that people can latch onto. So once we have those measures, then we can ask the question, well, what can we do in order to move us closer to that end game, closer to that utopia, closer to making a, a bigger impact? And then, then we can start to looking looking at the tactics of projects, who, how, when, where, why, uh, who, how, where, and when. Um, so it's such a simple thing, but to, to reverse engineer a utopia is the basic premise for good strategy. And most leaders don't do it that way, unfortunately. I, I agree with you. And it is, it, while it is definitely true at the large scale corporate level, it, I, it, in my humble opinion, it's even more prevalent in the mid cap and smaller businesses where people come to the market with a arguably a good idea, but their their vision is just expansion and promotion of that idea and not not really necessarily a service of a greater good of some sort. And it is ultimately profit for the sake of profit. And then they'll figure out what they really want to do. And and so often when I talk to small business owners, I'll ask the question, so what is your end game? Do, do you have an exit mm -hmm. strategy? Do you have an exit goal in mind? And, you know, they'll kind of hem and haw about, well, yeah, I'm going to sell the business one day and have my big payday. Well, are you really? I mean, what what does that look like? What What does that really mean? And you've got to then start asking the questions of what do you think this business is going to be worth and what can you do today? And it is a reverse engineering challenge. If you say you need a $10 million payday one day down the road to create the life you want, well, to get a, a business that's going to command a, a $10 million buyout, what does that take? What does it look like? What kind of market are you in? What kind of multiples do you have to achieve to, to be able to get there? And most mid-cap and small business owners never have the answers to those questions. Oh, and that's not even answering the question, what problem are you solving for who? And that's the, if you're going to sell a, a $10 million business, that's, you got to have $100 million worth of value that you're you're offering to people in terms of the problems that you're solving and the impact that you're offering. Um, so getting clear on that side, let alone the understanding the the monetary aspect of that is is pretty critical. And I love that as a, as a starting premise. You know, what problems are you solving for who, as as a way of thinking about business purpose, as opposed to what idea can I flog around the around the world to make a make a buck, which is again not that inspiring for the people that you want to hire. <laughs> It's like, why do I want to work for a guy who make set him or her up for a $10 million payday? Like, nah, that's not inspiring for people. Um, you can get hung up. You can get excited in founderitis where something new, something revolutionary, and all that energy of creation can derail people um, in terms of, or sidetrack them, I think, and say, like, ooh, we're on this rocket ride, but why, 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 why is, is the bigger point to, to keep in mind, I think, Doug. Yeah. 
I, and I think of a number of ideas that have crossed my desk in, in the last few years and thinking about that notion of the, and I'm going to go back to your donut analogy there of, of the world, the impact on the world and such. I, I know of an organization that's technically a nonprofit, but at their core, they are some amazing, amazing technologists. And what they're doing is they're, they've invented these devices that are, solar powered and wireless but they can affix to treetops in the amazon and monitor for sounds in the forest like uh illegal logging you know the mm. sound of a chainsaw in the if, if a tree falls in the woods you know yeah, who, yeah. who hears it well these listening devices hear it and they can identify and they can triangulate the source of the sound Likewise, you know, they can they can listen for movement of of animals that might be native to the area and, and a lot of really interesting good for the preservation of the rainforest. And it's uh, it's it's a phenomenal body of work. And these devices are designed to essentially to the untrained eye, they would look like just another large plant that's sprouted out in the top of the mm -hmm. tree because they kind of look like flower petals or elephant ear leaf type structure, yeah. but that's what the shape of the solar panel is. And, and that's how it's collecting its energy source to, um, to fuel all of this. So, um, uh, and, and this company has, very little difficulty raising money for their cause or finding talent to join the team to really propagate and expand what they're doing. So I, I, my point is it's, it's a great example of taking a great idea and, and really creating a target and a vision of serving a greater good other than the commercialization of the technology. Absolutely. And the research shows that fundamental to human wellness and well-being is, is need for goals and purpose. And when you can have a purpose that is making a difference on a planetary base uh, on a planetary basis or helping your fellow humans, then that is something that is enlivening and enriching and enriching. And it can help us feel better about ourselves and give us a reason to get out of bed every day. And I was talking to a client yesterday and she, her son has a struggles with addiction and he's in a cycle where he can't get out of it. And one of the, she's trying to figure out what's the cycle breaker here. And one of the challenges that he has is that he has no sense of purpose. There's no reason to get up every day. He's on welfare and he spends his welfare on drugs and he then is getting stuck in a woe is me kind of cycle without having something to contribute to and to feel good about, then we're missing a core piece of the puzzle. So an organization that says, here is a purpose, here is something that is valuable, that can enrich your life, people will flock to that. And we're... It's such a simple thing to, to do that in every business. Every business can have a purpose. And it's not just something you tack on. Oh, we donate $100,000 a year to blah. It needs to be integrated into the value system of the business and to think this is who we are as humans. This is what we believe. These are the partnerships that we have in order to make a difference in the world. Um, 
So, yes, <laughs> let's do I, better I, work. <laughs> I, I agree with all of that. And I'm going to add, though, the caveat that from a leadership perspective, if, if you're trying to run a business, you don't necessarily have to visualize this giant grandiose vision of what you can be and what you might do in in terms of being able to improve employee engagement and, I, and i'm reminded of that again i'm reflecting on the appointment i had earlier today through our our discussion i was reminded of a story i tell from my early career in banking i took over a department of about 14 people and not not a big scale part of the operation but something significant nonetheless and i was kind of doing the classic young manager thing i was sitting down with each person talking about their role their job what they had been doing there you know prior to me taking over the unit and i had one lady she was processing this paperwork and i i said describe your job to me and she said i take the form out of the right drawer i go on the computer i do x y and z and then i put it in the left drawer and i said that's it that's your job and she said yeah that's it pretty much i said okay well where do those forms come from that fill your right hand drawer is there ever a lack of load for that she said no they're always there's always a new stack every day i said well, where do they come from who who brings them and she goes oh i don't know a number of different people they just show up and i said do you have any idea where they come from she goes no i've never asked and Wow. I said, and then where do they go when they leave your left-hand drawer? And she goes, I don't know. So-and-so comes and picks them up, and then they're gone. And and I said, do you like this job? And she's going, well, to be honest, it's kind of boring. It's kind of mundane. I said, all right. So long story short, I did a little research, and I realized the significance of the form had to do with our new customers set up at the bank. Anybody that wanted to create an account with the bank of any kind had to fill out this particular form at the time. This was kind of pre-online banking, uh, still paper-based. And her role was to set up in the computer system a, a, a primary customer profile record. And that's the basis for everything else connecting. If, if they wanted a checking account or wanted to make a loan, it all had to tie to that piece. And I came back to her and I said, you're kind of a big deal here in the life of a successful customer. And I explained it all to her and she just, I thought she was going to explode sitting in her chair. She was so excited about what that meant and what that possibility was. And she took ownership of it and she just, all of a sudden she was this dynamo of engagement and excitement and performance because now she had a purpose she understood her role there and was proud of it wow i don't know if that's exciting or sad i think it's sad in one instance <laughs> that there's people who are trudging through life going all i do is move paper and they don't think to think about why or how the impact and then that's the sad part and the exciting part is like absolutely you don't have to have a grandiose vision of changing the world economics though I certainly have that <laughs> because that can also be deflating, right? You're like, how, I'm just a tiny cog. How can I new the needle on this? Um, if you can show that your work makes a difference to someone or something, uh, then, then that can be all that you need. I agree with you there, Doug. I think that's, that's good. Thank you for that 
that good news part of the story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, fundamentally, I agree with what you said. It's it's a combination of good and sad, and um, you know. But the reality is, if you are trying to run a business, not everybody can be the president of the company pulling all the levers. You you, you need reliable members of your team to execute on day-to-day tasks that have to be performed. But the question is, if you are the leader of the organization or the owner of the company, how how do you engage those people and keep them kind of the eye on the prize, so to speak? But to your point, what comes to my mind is there's, there's a clear awareness that business leaders have today that they're, that the average worker is looking for more and more comes in the way of knowing that the company is committed to some kind of greater good than something bigger, more important than just making a buck. Yeah. I think expectations of employees have shifted in a number of different ways. One is that purpose piece. And the other one that has come out of COVID is the idea that the workplace is responsible or is contributor to uh, individual well-being. And this is one of the pressures I I found working with leaders through COVID is that all of a sudden they they have to be familiar with mental health issues and how you facilitate that and having mental health first aid training is now a core part of their job responsibilities. And being able to check in on people's welfare is now part of their core responsibility. That wasn't the case 20 years ago. You know, it's like right. you show up do your work and your well-being and your work-life balance is your own concern. It wasn't necessarily front and center and in discussion as a team about how we're all managing that. And it is now because in a lot of workplaces, we've got remote hybrid blend work. Uh, and central to that is is that helping your well-being or hindering your well-being and how are you showing up today? What do we need to keep in mind? And there's, I think this is actually a good thing. It's that it's increasing the rise of compassion in the workplace for one another. And that works so long as the leaders are facilitating good conversational relationships between their people um, so that you can get an understanding of who your people are, what their pressures are, and how how they're performing is related to what else is going on. So I'd like that as one of the trends that's emerged from COVID is that we're starting to see humans as an integral part of the workplace and the whole of the human, not just their ability to shuffle paper or to punch in numbers. It's all of them can be harnessed and contributing in the workplace. And that means also knowing what's happening outside of the workplace. Right. I've had a number of guests on my show where we've talked about this idea. There's a lot of terminology for it, but it's The one I like is the human-centric leadership, knowing Mm -hmm. that the people you've put on your payroll are not just numbers for the payroll, but they're fellow human beings that when they come to work, they're going to show up at varying levels day by day on where they are with their existence. And when I started talking about this, I frequently point to the Maslow's hierarchy of need and that that's not just a giant life journey kind of model, but it's, I argue that it's a day-to-day experience because if you know the Maslow's hierarchy and you know the different levels that are talked about there, 
there are days when you will have a worker that's going to show up that feels very threatened at the base level on that hierarchy. They, they're not sure if they're safe at home. They're not sure if they're eating good food or if, if, if they're still going to have their lights on when they get home. And it's, it's a very rudimentary sense of survival or you go up a level, you know, maybe they've got a relational conflict going on in their life, maybe a spouse, maybe a parent, maybe a, sibling or maybe it's a next door neighbor but nonetheless it's a it's a point of conflict that is a stressor to them and causing them grief and when people are swirling in those lower levels of the maslow's hierarchy they they're not able to show up with their best self and have the uh intellectual capacity to do the work you might be asking them to do because their brain chemistry is off for the day. They're, all the blood is gone from the frontal cortex. It's moved to other parts of the brain for fight or flight survival. And you wonder why they don't seem like themselves. <laughs> you scratch your head. Yeah. Yeah. I, Maslow's hierarchy is, is absolutely a, a, map, a useful map for leaders to understand to, in order to appreciate where their people are and where they are themselves, too. One of the other maps that I introduce in my book, People Stuff, is related to that it's looking at neuroscience and what are the common threats uh in the workplace today that cause people to go into this fight or flight and yeah you've mentioned a couple of them first of all there's the primary survival ones but then there's the relational ones around belonging do i feel safe here as you mentioned status am i appreciated and valued and for my expertise and recognized for that fairness do is my perception of fairness being honored in the workplace uh do i have autonomy we spoke about that you know do i have, even if i am a cog like instrument in the business do i have autonomy over that work uh do i have a chance to build mastery in my role um and how much uncertainty is in the workplace as well that's probably this fear of loss of anything is the thing that can drive people into really unhelpful behaviors uh, where they're fight or flight or freeze kind of mode. And that uncertainty is, is not to be underestimated. And it was a big deal. Oh, excuse me, as I just move around in my little cubicle here. Um, it was a big deal during COVID because that, that COVID basically triggered all those things. Uh, right. Uncertainty, fairness, autonomy, all that kind of stuff got squashed with all that unknown right. and restrictions and regulations and it freaked people out. And so there was, there's been a couple of years where people have not been at their best and been under a lot of stress and mental health pressures are enormous. And from a leadership point of view, if you didn't know all that stuff, the work got so much harder because all your people were just not being what they were before. So being be, as a leader, having, to, there's so much to contend with for, for leaders. And, and I have so much compassion and appreciation for leaders who take on a leadership role because you've got to understand what's going on around you understand the horizon all the trends and make strategic decisions and impactful decisions for the long term as well as the immediate term and then you've got to handle this bucket of messy human dynamics <laughs> and there's, there's so much knowledge and skill that you need as a leader to contend with all of that how do you actually balance strategy and culture and the messy humans in the middle it's a lot to deal I agree. I agree. 
And you know what, Zoe, with that, I think I'm going to call out the benediction here for our show. That's a great summation and, and statement of the challenge that leaders have today. If um, folks want to get a hold of you and, and learn more about your work and your ideas, what's the best way for them to reach out? Uh, a couple places. You can come to my website, zoerouth.com. I have a free, free report based on my book, People Stuff. Uh, you could just click on resources and there it is about messy behaviors in the workplace and what to do about it. I have a podcast also called, as you mentioned, the Zoe Routh Leadership Podcast, and that's available on all your uh, podcasting platforms. Or you can find me on LinkedIn, Twitter, Insta, and Facebook. Great, great. And as always, folks, we'll have that contact info in our show notes. But uh, one last time, Zoe, thank you for sitting in. Really appreciate you sharing. Oh, it's a privilege. Thank you so much. It's nice to connect with you again, Doug. Likewise, likewise. And with that, folks, I do want to remind everybody, we've got a video version of this. It'll be posted on YouTube. Go over there, channel by the same name, Leadership Powered by Common Sense. You can get the video version of this and uh, click on the other goodies that are there. You'll see a membership link and some other things that are available for you. With that, we're going to uh, sign off. I, I do want to remind folks that I, too, am available. If you want to spend a moment talking about your leadership situation, whether it's your small business or your corporate environment, my contact is at dougthorpe.com. You can uh, hit any of the links there and get access to my resources as well. So. Look forward to hearing from you. If you've got a thought or idea about something you'd like to hear or see in another episode, drop me a line. Let me know that. For now, we're going to sign off, say goodbye, and wish you a great day. You've been listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense, hosted by Doug Thorpe. If you would like to know more about the coaching and advisory services he provides, visit DougThorpe.com.